you, I'm going to burn that testament. Those were the words of a very angry argument of young man as he, uh, it, it, Rob was standing on a college campus giving out uh, copies of God's word and this young man came up to him and began an argumentative discussion with him. After a few minutes, Rob said, I'll give you one of these testaments if you promise to read it. Well, the young man took the testament, but as he walked away, he said, I promise you I'm going to burn that testament. Well, the next year, Rob is back on that campus giving out copies of God's Word, and he noticed a young man standing over to the side watching him. Well, when the flow of students stopped, the young man came over and said, Sir, I don't know whether you remember me or not, but I need to apologize to you for the way I spoke to you last year. Well, did you read that testament? Yes, sir, I read the testament, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and that's why I needed to come today and apologize to you. Well, I want to thank you all on behalf of uh, college students for giving through your missions budget to allow the Gideons to provide New Testaments to uh, college students. You know, um, we're best known for placing the uh, Bibles in the hotel rooms, and we continue to do that. It's about 8% of what we do, though. Um, but people often ask, well, does anyone read those copies of God's Word that are placed in those, class, in those uh, hotel rooms? And yes, they do, and we want to share uh, Carrie Christie's testimony to with you this morning. I am so happy that you are here, and I am so honored that I was asked to be here with you and to speak and share my testimony. I was raised by an incredible family here in Georgia, a wonderful mother and a wonderful father. I can't remember an evening or a special holiday when we did not have complete strangers sitting at the table with us. During holiday seasons, we would have people who had been thrown out of their homes either because of drug addiction or alcoholism. Or later, when, uh, in the 80s, when the AIDS epidemic hit, my mother took in people with AIDS and took care of them. When I was in high school, we had a runaway living with us. My mother took in almost anybody, and she actually loved them. She treated them as family. Now, this might be very common for Christians, and many Christians around the world might do something similar, but see, my family were all atheists, every one of us. My brother, my sister, my parents, my aunts and uncles, and my grandparents. We didn't own a Bible, we didn't listen to Christian programming, and we didn't go to churches. In growing up, I had a wonderful mother, very talented, she was an artist. And as part of her um, talents, it, it enabled us to travel to all kinds of galleries and museums and travel throughout the United States. And so, of course, we stayed in a lot of hotels. One evening, after we had wrapped up visiting a hotel, uh, visiting a, a museum, we stayed in a hotel, and that evening my mom wanted to go out to dinner, and I said, you know, Mom, I'm a little tired. I was 14, and it was 1974. And I said, would you mind going out and getting something? I'm just going to stay around here. I stayed in that, that evening, and I looked around the hotel room for something to read. And lo and behold, at the foot of the bed, on a bench seat, was a little red Gideon's Bible. Now, I had never read a Bible before. I'm not sure at that age that I had ever even seen one, and I had never heard the gospel story. So I picked up that book and I began to read just like any other 14-year-old would. I opened up to page one, paragraph one, sentence one, and that's where I began to read. 
It took about 15 or 20 minutes for my mother to come back with dinner, and in that time, I had read several chapters of the Bible. And I decided right then and there in that hotel room that that was the most incredible work of fiction I had ever read. And so the next morning, as we were packing to leave the hotel, I took that little Red Gideon's Bible and I hid it in my suitcase. Now let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, even a 14-year-old atheist knows that it's not right to steal. But I did it anyway. And years later, my sweet husband would say to me, Honey, that's not really stealing. The Gideons want you to have that Bible. But I didn't know that. I took that little red Gideon's Bible home, and for the next four years while I was in high school, while my friends were out doing what teenagers typically do, I was behind a locked door and often under my covers with a flashlight reading that Bible. And I started, as I said, from page one, sentence one, and continued to read through. And by my senior year in high school, I had finally reached the scripture in the New Testament that says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock, and the door shall be opened. And so that night, I closed my eyes and I said, God, I don't believe in you. No one in my family does. But if you're really there, just show me. Just show me and I'll believe. And I had read so many incredible tales about burning bushes and stars at night that I expected something like that to happen. And when it didn't, I was very disappointed and I thought, well, this is a wonderful book, but it's not for me and God does not exist. That fall in 1978, my mother, who was my best friend, helped me pack for college and I could not find a way to sneak that little red Bible into my suitcase. And so off I went to the University of Georgia right down the road to start my academic career. That fall, as God would have it, across the hall from me was a young lady by the name of Susie Colley. And I knew within a very short period of time that she was a Christian. Now, up until that point, I'm not sure I'd met very many. Certainly no one had ever shared the gospel story with me and I was 18 years old, living in the United States. But I knew that Susie was a Christian because she was just like the people in the book of Acts. She talked about God and prayed to God, but what was more amazing is that God talked to her and she told me about it. And so that fall, she took me to a Christian concert at the University of Georgia. And that night I heard the gospel story and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and my life. Now, I went to the front. I went to the front and told the minister that I wanted to be baptized in water. And he tried to explain to me that on a Saturday night, most of the churches are locked and there wasn't really a place that he could take me that had a baptismal font. But that didn't matter to me. You see, by that time, I had read the New Testament. I knew what the book of Acts said and I had read all the stories in the Gospels. And I insisted I was not leaving that student center without being baptized. So bless his little heart. They opened up someone's house and took me over, and I was baptized with water and filled with the Holy Spirit in a bathtub. Now, as we say in the South, there just ain't nothing like a born-again Christian, or a born-again atheist, too. And so what happened was for the next several years, I began to share with everyone I came in contact with the story that I had never heard. I told them about Jesus, and I told them about the Bible, and my entire family within the next two years, except for my mother and my brother, became born-again Christians. Radically changed born-again Christians. 
So now I need to fast forward to five short years ago. I received, sitting in the building, uh, not far from where you sit, a call stating that I needed to come to the hospital. My mother had been diagnosed with inoperable cancer, and we found out that she had only two to three months to live. In a courtyard at her home here in Atlanta, Georgia, I sat down with her a week after her diagnosis, and she began to do what the doctors had told her to do, and that was get her affairs in order. And she looked at me and she said, Carrie, I hope I have been a good mother. I hope you have been proud of me. And I said, well, Mom, why would you say that? I've had an incredible childhood. I've had an incredible relationship with you. And she said, because we don't believe the same way. I know you're a Christian, and I'm still an atheist after all these years. And I know that it's disappointing. And I know that it must affect the way that you see me. And I said, Mom, I'm sorry that I've given you that impression, because no, let me tell you how God sees you. I said, there's a story in the New Testament about a good Samaritan. When all the believers and the godly people had left the downtrodden and a man that was beaten up in a gutter and would not help him, a good Samaritan came along, someone who was not one of the faithful, and they took care of that man in the gutter. God loves you. God loves your heart, and God loves how you served his people. And I said, it's such a beautiful story. I just wish I had a Bible that I could share with you so I could read it to you. And she said, well, honey, I don't know how I have this, but if you'll go into my bedroom and get up on a chair and reach into the back on the bookcase, I think you'll find a Bible there. I'm not really sure where it came from or what it's doing there, but I think there's one there nonetheless. And so that evening, five years ago, I got up on a chair and I reached into the back on the top of the bookcase and out I pulled that little red Gideon's Bible. Well, of course, I had to at that point confess to my mother that I'd stolen it. And I tried to explain to her what my husband said and that it's not really stealing, but she was having nothing of that. And she said, I really want to keep that Bible, Carrie, so you're going to have to call the Gideons and you're going to have to ask them for us to keep it. And that started my relationship formally with the Gideons International. A very sweet, kind, faithful brother named Reed Calloway dedicated this Bible to my mother. And in less than a year later, beating all of the odds that the doctors gave her, my mother gave her heart to the Lord. And as I said before, amen. As I said before, there just ain't nothing like a born-again atheist. So she began to share the love of God with everyone she knew. My mother went to be with the Lord two years ago. During her last days, as she was, her health was ailing and she was in the hospital, people came from all over the United States that were lifelong friends to visit her. One of those people was a little Jewish psychiatrist from Virginia. And she stayed with us that week. And she took me aside at one point and she said, Carrie, I've known your mother almost her entire life. And I've known you. Now, I've always noticed that there's something really different about you. But in all the years I've known your mother, there's something really different about her now, too. And I can't figure it out. What is going on? Tell me about your faith. And so I looked at her and I said, Shelly, it all started when I was 14 years old and I stole a little red Gideon's Bible. And she went, oh! And I said, well, Shelly, you know, it's not really stealing. I've learned that by now. And Shelly said, that's not why I gasped. She said, you see, I'm a psychiatrist in a hospital, 
and two weeks ago, I almost stole a little white Gideon's Bible. And I said, well, they really do want you to have those, Shelley. My mother passed away two years ago on New Year's Day, and within 30 days, I received this email from the little Jewish psychiatrist, Shelley. She had walked out in the back of her yard. She had closed her eyes, and in this, she details how she accepted Jesus and asked him to be Lord and Savior of her life. I want to thank you. I want to thank all of you for your service. I want to thank you for your, your role in fulfilling the Great Commission. I cannot tell you how the devotion of Gideon's in the past and how your devotion has changed my life. Yes, God is always faithful, but he is faithful through his people. You have an incredible ministry. You and the Gideon's International will be forever woven in my faith story and in the story of my family. I will bring you up to, to date on my brother because some people who know me have asked. My brother will not step foot in a church. After I came, uh, came to know the Gideons, several faithful brothers called him and tried to share their faith with him. And he would call me and say it's a waste of time. Two months ago, I heard from my brother and he said that he had gone to church for the first time. Your faithfulness has meant everything to my family. Where most families have old Bibles that they'll keep forever as their family Bibles, my Red Gideons will be our family Bible. We will pass this down and we will always tell every member of our family about your faithfulness and your service. Thank you for being here and thank you for your service. Well, I've heard that testimony a number of times, but hearing fresh again today, I don't know about you all, but it brought tears to my eyes. David grew up in Ohio, and David was always getting in trouble in school. So much so that David decided when he got old enough, he would drop out of school and move away from all those crazy people in Ohio. So the day came and he dropped out of school and he moved to California. If David were here this morning, he'd tell you those same crazy people followed him from Ohio to California because he continued to get into trouble. So he, he moved to Texas. Well, you know what? Nothing changed. So after a while, he thought, I'm, I'll just move back to Ohio, back to home. But by that time, he was a heavy drug user and into selling drugs, and he wound up in jail. Well, he got in so much trouble in jail that they put him in solitary confinement. It's just a little opening at the bottom of the cell door where they'd push in the food tray, and he would cuss and spit at the hand that pushed it in. Well, one day, the uh, door opened, and in came a book, and he threw it against the wall. But over time, David picked up that copy of God's Word and began to read it. And one night, he got down on his hands and knees in that cell block and accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Well, things began to change in David's life, and after a while, he got out of jail. He said he met a young lady that had lots of uh, problems in her life. In fact, she'd had so many abortions, the uh, 
Doctors told her she'd never be able to have children. Well, David shared his testimony with her and she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. After a while, uh, uh, they, David asked her to, to, give, to marry him and she accepted the proposal. And David had the privilege of being in the operating room, in the delivery room, the day their son was born. David gave his testimony a few years ago in, in our convention in Dallas, Texas. And at the end, he said, I want to thank you, folks, for what you do. And then he said, folks, I would have never come to your church. I would have never listened to you if you had tried to talk to me on the street, but you reached me. Did you hear what he said? He would never come to your church. He would never listen to you if you met him on the street, but you reached him. So I want to thank you for giving to the Gideons so we can provide scriptures to those who would never come to our churches, who would never accept a witness on the street, but have an opportunity to read a copy of God's word in, in the jails and the prisons, or even in a hotel room. Gary had never been to a church. She had never heard the gospel message. The Gideons International is an association of Christian business and professional men who are members of uh, evangelical and Protestant churches whose only objective is to win men and women, boys and girls to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We do that through uh, personal witnessing and through placing and distributing God's word in the traffic lanes of life. Have you noticed how God works in our lives to prepare us for ministry? In Isaiah 55, 8, we read, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God uses his word to reach men and women, boys and girls, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divide of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God used the unexpected uh, meet, a meeting of two men in a hotel room to begin the Gideons International. September 14, 1898, John Nicholson went into a hotel in Wisconsin. As he, he talked to the desk clerk, he was told there was only one bed available in that hotel. It was in the room that Mr. Hill had. There were two beds in that room. The uh, clerk pointed out Sam Hill to him and John looked at him from a distance and decided he was, looked like a clean-cut young man and that he would approach him and ask about using the other bed in the room. And Mr. Hill agreed. Well, as the end of the evening came and Mr. Nicholson finished his orders for the day, he reached into his bag and got out his Bible. He had promised his dying mother he would always read a portion of scripture and have prayer before turning in for the evening. Well, Mr. Hill saw him do that. Mr. Hill said, I'm a Christian too. Let's have devotions together. So they did. 
the end of our devotional time, they thought there should, they talked about there should be an organization for traveling business salesmen. So they, uh, they sent out some invitations to some men they knew. And on July 1 of 1899, Mr. Nicholson and Mr. Hill, along with uh, Will Knight, the three of them, started what today is known as the Gideons International. Now, the Bible placement ministry was formally started after the July 1908 convention in Louisville, Kentucky, where the convention approved the recommendation from the cabinet to place a copy of God's Word in each of the hotel rooms in the United States, not knowing where they would get the funds to do that, but having the faith that God would provide. Well, the idea of, of, of the churches contributing to support the Gideon ministry uh, was actually made by a pastor. You see, about two months after that Louisville convention, the uh, Gideon National Secretary attended a, uh, a meeting uh, of uh, a ministerial union in Cedar, Cobra, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He was asked to explain about the Gideons, and he did, and he explained about the desire to put a copy of God's Word in each of the hotel rooms in the United States. And after he finished, one of the pastors made a motion that the churches provide the funds for the Gideons to place the Bibles in the local hotels. That's the beginning of the Gideons International. It's been over 100 years since the Gideons placed the first copy of God's Word in the Superior Hotel in Superior, uh, Montana. Since that time, over two, million cop two billion copies of God's Word have been placed and distributed to God be the glory. The, uh, the distribution uh, of, the, of our first billion took place between 1908 and 2001. But then in the 13 years following that up to 2015, the second billion has been distributed. And today, on average, more than two copies of God's Word every second, over one million every four days. We're now organized in 200 countries around the world with over 268,000 members. These are men and women who live and work in the country. They know the culture and the language, and they can usually stay regardless of the political situation. Over the last two weeks, the Gideons have had what we call international scripture blitzes in Brazil, Ecuador, Nicaragua and Costa Rica. An international scripture blitz is where men from the United States and other national associations like Australia and the British Isles and Sweden and so forth spend one or two weeks in another country a lot working with the local Gideons to help them place and distribute God's word. As was mentioned, I've had the opportunity to uh, travel to the countries of Brazil and Chile in South America and the country of Benin in West Africa, participating in international scripture blitzes and then in uh, Benin training the locals in how to do the ministry. 
In those countries and most of the countries around the world, we have the opportunity to go into the classrooms in the schools and to tell the students that we've come to bring them the most important book they'll ever read and tell them that uh, when they receive their copy, that there's a, at the front cover, they can put their name to show that the book belongs to them. And then we explain to them that there are helps in the front. We all go through situations in our lives uh, where we're anxious or afraid or upset or something has happened. They'll tell them what verses to read, even the page number within the Testament where they can read it. And then we share with them the verses on the back cover. Let them know that God loves them. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever so believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then they can read Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then it says, all may be saved now. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we, depending on, on the amount of time we're given in the classroom and sometimes the country, we're able to share all that, but so, and sometimes we're able to ask them if they've read those verses and if they want to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. But we always tell them to read it. It's the most important book they'll ever read. And if they decide upon reading it, that they want to thank God for what he did for them and accept him, uh, give their life to him, they can pray the sinner's prayer, confessing to God that I am a sinner and believing the Lord Jesus Christ died for my sins on the cross and was raised for my justification, I do now receive and confess him as my personal savior. We always tell them, uh, if you do that, then there's a place where you can put your name and, and the date, so you can always remember your spiritual birthday. And then following that, there's a paragraph that encourages them to seek a Bible-believing church where they can uh, grow in their walk with the Lord, where they can study the word under the preaching of a pastor and so forth. Unfortunately, in the United States, we're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to go into the classroom. We do do sidewalk distributions at schools. Oftentimes, the administration will ask us to go across the street or up the street or there's, and as you know, like in Anne Arundel County, most of the students in the public schools are bused and we're not allowed on the school property. So a few years ago, the Gideons uh, started what we call the Life Book. The Life Book is provided to uh, church youth groups because the, their young people can share the Life Book with their, the other students in the school and with their, their peers. The church youth people learn to, youth learn to share their faith. And those that receive the life book have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The life book is God's word in a, a format that, that students love to hand out. It's about the size of a CD case. 
It contains a short uh, recap of the Old Testament. The entire book of John has a section on uh, questions and answers that teenagers would have, and then a section that gives them an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, if a youth shares that with a friend, uh, and the friend has questions, that young person may not know the answer, but they can tell them where they can come to find out the answer of their questions. So young people begin to come to the churches and they learn about Jesus and his love for them and accept him as their Lord and Savior. The Life Book is wholly, entirely funded by the Gideons International. There's no charge to the church. They'll never receive a bill. They won't be asked to pay for shipping. All we ask is that whatever number of life books they receive, that they are faithful in having them given out so that they accomplish the purpose for which they were intended. You simply go to the life book, thelifebook.com, and order that, the, many, the number of copies that your youth can distribute. Well, we're, we're, we praise God for the open door in Asia where over about one-third of the people live. We're not organized in uh, communist China, but working with the Chinese uh, Christian Council and the Religious Affairs Bureau, we're able to send visiting Gideon teams into the country. And over the last several years, 3.7 million scriptures have been distributed in communist China. In the country of India, we have the opportunity to give out over one million copies every month. So we thank you again for giving that scriptures can be distributed to, in, to, to those in India, China, other countries around the world. Locally, the Gideons had the opportunity in October of 2016 to join with uh, others from the uh, United, Eastern United States and go to the Washington, D.C. for three or four days to hand out God's word. And we were able to go to the hotels and schools and colleges, hospitals, medical offices, nursing homes, gave out almost 132,000 scriptures over that period of time. In April, we had what we call a mini blitz, just two-day blitz in Baltimore to help the local camps give out the copies of God's Word. And over almost 3,700 copies were given out in the schools and colleges, and over 700 taken to medical offices and given to the staff there. On June the 10th, we had the opportunity to do personal witnessing as we participated with the Baltimore, uh, Blessed Baltimore Motorcade and had the opportunity to, to give out with a personal witness 1,400 copies of God's Word uh, at City Hall and then at, a, at a, a park near North and Pennsylvania Avenues. We uh, have a display at the Military Entrance Processing Center at Fort Meade where uh, uh, an average of four to 500 copies of the Testament were taken each month this past year. Well, our auxiliary visits medical offices on a regular basis to place a copy of a, a Bible in the waiting room and to provide the staff 
with, uh, with copies of God's Word. I want to share uh, Carol Harrison's testimony with you regarding a, uh, a Bible that she read in a medical office. Those two songs that we sang today are two of the songs that I heard first when I went off to a church for the first time, and it got me emotional. <laughs> anyway, I'm Carol Harrison, and I have to apologize. We've been married 26 years, so that's just for the record books. Um, <laughs> but to get down to business, um, a scripture verse reminds me of all you ladies, and I found it a long time ago reading, and I thought, wow, it's 1 John 3.18. It says, Dear children, let us not love with word or tongue, but the actions and the truth. Now, when the lady brought that Bible in that day and put it down in that doctor's office, that was the action. But I always have believed that the God's word is the truth. And so that's where the truth comes from. One day, somebody came into a doctor's office and laid that Bible down. And one day, I walked in and read it and changed my life forever. I'm a wife and a mother of two grown sons, um, 24 and 21 pretty soon. Uh, my story lit starts kind of with this scripture, 4.12, Hebrews 4.12a. For the word of God is living and active. I read the word and it became active in my life. I was brought up as a Jewish girl. My grandparents came over from Russian Poland border and all I knew is things of the Jewish way lived in a, small, in a small community within Detroit, Michigan, and I lived among all Jewish people, so all I knew was about Judaism. I would celebrate Passover, I would celebrate Yom Kippur, I would celebrate Rosh Hashanah, and I would go with my dad to Saturday services. Um, I felt really special being Jewish. In that community, I was a Jewish princess. I was at the top of the line, and uh, I felt really special. At the age of eight, we moved from Detroit to a small, a larger community called Southfield. It was a suburb of Detroit, Michigan. And at that point, there wasn't all Jewish people, so I was introduced in large numbers of Gentile or Christian people. And um, it wasn't so good to be Jewish anymore. And it was a very hard time. I was teased a lot. And I think through that experience of wanting to hide who my Jewishness was, I started to have a very low self-esteem of myself and self-worth and unloving feelings towards myself. But I knew at, at all points that there was a God. I feared him. I didn't know him as a loving God. I, felt, I saw him as a God that would punish me if I didn't do the right thing. In my late teens, early 20s, I tried to ward off my feelings of anxiety, depression, um, self-loathing, and I started to turn to alcohol. It was a numbing sensation that made me feel good for the time period that I was drinking. I felt high and happy. None of that mattered. And then I kept on dating different men, looking for somebody that could love me enough so that I would have the feeling of loving myself. Something that I felt like I didn't deserve, something I felt that I couldn't obtain. But God gave me a gift. He introduced me to Ken, and uh, he, he loved me. And I, I know he's a gift. He loved me so much but I still felt unloved. Yes, you can be loved and still feel unloved. I kept searching to fill that longing for the need to be loved. I even went as far as to tell Ken that he was the problem. See, if he loved me enough, 
then I would feel love. So if I didn't feel love, then he didn't love me enough. Well, let me tell you something, ladies. Let's face it. Our husbands are gifts, but they're not a replacement for God. And it took me a lot of years to figure that out. Ken and I had a son, Brad, and I thought, that's it. I have this baby that's going to love me unconditionally. That's going to make me feel love. Well, it didn't work. So we tried number two. And that didn't work either because the love that I needed was something I didn't know even how to obtain. Yes, it's possible to have a family and for them to love you immensely and still feel alone and unloved. You don't believe that, but it's true because people watched our family and they thought we were a great family unit. You know, we all had smiles on our faces, the kids were all clean, their hairs were all nice and neat, and everybody was having fun. But behind the closed doors, I was packing my bags and arguing with Ken and ready to leave constantly because he was a problem. But I was the problem. I told you that God gave me a gift and it was Ken, and because of that, he kept holding on to me. He kept loving me. He saw something in me I could not see. Well, on March 1992, God met me at a doctor's office. We did printing, we still do, printing for doctor's offices, and I was in there waiting for the doctor to see the last patient. There's two things sitting there before me, a prevention magazine and a Gideon's Bible. I've never really read the New Testament, so I decided to pick up that Gideon's Bible that day, and I opened the book to the New Testament, and I happened to start reading. I got to the part where it said, crucify him, crucify him. The Jews said crucify him. And that stopped me an instant, because I was brought up to know that Jesus was a prophet, a good guy, and the Romans killed him. So I think God put that passage in front of me because he knew I wouldn't stop until I figured out what the real deal was. And sent me on a mission. I had a friend that had asked us to go to church with her one day. So I knew she had a Bible. So I called her up and I said, Stephanie, do you have another Bible I can borrow? I know you go to church and you must have at least one more Bible in your house. She said, you know, I got a Gideon's Bible for college. You can come by and get it. <laughs> so I came by and I got it. This is how passionate God got me. I was on such fire for the Lord. I took that Bible into my hands and I never put it down. I mean, I literally had it open on the passenger seat of my car. If I stopped the car, I picked the book up, I read. The light turned green, I sat there and put it back down and I drove. When I was cooking dinner, most people have a cookbook in front of them. I didn't, I had the Bible. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, Ken say, where are you going, Carol? I said, I gotta go read. He'd say, in the middle of the night, said, yep, I got to read. I got to continue reading. I can't stop reading because for some reason I think somebody loves me in this book. And I'm starting to feel a little different. Well, I told you that the word was the truth and that it was active and alive. And that book spoke to me. The first time in my life I realized that God loved me. Not just the way he wanted me to be, one day, which I'm still evolving. I think we all evolve until then. But right where I was, I mean, this person that I loved, he loved. And I now had a perfect father. Well, I was the best person in the world. You couldn't outdo me in grudge holding if you wanted to back then. But I'll tell you what, immediately I started to forgive, 
and to release. It was the greatest freeing of bondage I've ever experienced. It was like loads of weight. I lost hundreds of pounds. All of a sudden, I didn't have to remember what everybody did to me. I could just move forward. People make mistakes. Things aren't always perfect, but God loved me, and you have no idea. Well, Ken said, you know, Carol, there's something going on here. He goes, I didn't believe in God. You know I don't believe in God. And I used to always say, good thing I'm married to you because I'll cover you. Because I was Jewish. And I thought that was the end of ends back then, right? He said, but there's something about you, Carol. He goes, you're changing. He said, and I believe that there's a God. So I asked him if he'd start reading with me. We were going to church by that time, and um, slowly we were moving up from the back row to the front. I let him lead that. Isn't the guy supposed to do that? Okay. So he kind of led us up to the front. I nudged a little bit, but he led us. And, and, um, and, and we started reading together. We read this Bible, and it was really interesting because I knew the Old Testament really well. So a lot of the New Testament just kind of connected for me right away. So I'd share with them some of the things that Jesus was saying, and I'd show them in the Old Testament how they kind of combined. And before you knew it, I was being baptized. Um, Easter of 1992, the pastor of the church we were going to, sat there and was talking. He was walking back and forth, and he said, out of the clear blue, he hadn't met me yet. He sat there and said, there could be a Jew in here today that wants to turn the life over to the Lord. My friend was sitting on the other end of the church, and she looked over at me, and I looked over at Ken, and I said, that's it for me. I'm all in. <laughs> Somebody else can take over my life, let them. This is a wreck, right? Well, <clears throat> my sons and I were baptized um, May of 1992. Don't worry, Ken was too eventually. It just took him a little longer, but he came along. And I have to tell you, at my baptism, something else really cool happened. Um, my best friend, whose mother and I never got along, because I was always getting her daughter in trouble in high school. So, But here I was at 29 years old, and she heard about my baptism, and she's, she came. And she brought, she brought her husband, who had not been in a church except for a wedding or a funeral since their marriage. And he started going back to church after that. So that was a miracle. She start, he started attending church with her. But she brought, me, she brought me a Bible that day. I still use it to this day. It's marked up all over the place. And she said, Carol, I've been praying for you for 15 years. So I'm going to say today, if you have somebody out there as hard-headed as me that you've been praying for, keep praying because God hears the prayers. And eventually, eventually, your prayers will be answered. More blessings came after that day. Um, I was lucky enough to see my parents actually start attending a Messianic congregation. If you don't know what that is, it's a, um, a rabbi that becomes a pastor and he leads Jewish people to know who the Lord is. And that's a whole story on its own, but after a while my parents both got baptized within six months of each other. I have a brother that got baptized, a cousin that actually got baptized and took, now her whole family goes to church. My sister-in-law, who had stopped going to church, went back and recommitted herself. And my mother-in-law started attending church after all the years that she was up north. She hadn't gone to a church, and she started reattending. So I have to say this, too. I mean, there was only one Bible that day, one person that was touched, but the ripple effect goes on and on and on. Because I don't know who they've touched. So when you put those Bibles out there, when you sit there and leave them, you think, oh, I've been doing this all day, and what's it matter? I'm proof of what it matters. And... From me, God has used me for so many others. I always compare it to a rock. 
when you throw a rock around the water, all of a sudden you have these ripples that go out. You don't know how far they go. After a while, you might not be able to see them, but they're still working. So please, keep on taking those Bibles and putting them out there, because somebody like me is picking it up and reading it for the first time. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. Well, Carol talked about the ripple effect. I think Carrie did too in a different way. She talked about her, how her family had uh, accepted Christ. Uh, David Graham, whose testimony I gave earlier, uh, David is now a pastor in Ohio. The ripple effect, how many, how many hundreds of thousands of people perhaps found the Lord because of uh, David's ministry. Well, there's a, some ways in which you can uh, can support the ministry beyond what your church does through your mission budget. Uh, you can become a friend of the Gideons, and I'd be glad to explain more about that after the service. If you're a business, a Christian or business professional man here this morning, you could consider being a member of the association. Uh, in your uh, lobby area, there's a display with cards a lot similar to this that you can use to uh, send out in memory of someone that's passed on or just to recognize someone's birthday or anniversary, or just to let them know you're praying for them. When you do use that card, we ask you to provide one or more copies of God's Word to be put in a hotel room. And a Bible like this costs $5, has the opportunity to be read by over 2,300 people in its normal life in a hotel room. How do we use the cards? Well, you pick up the card from the rack, or display, you'll find an, a white envelope that you can address to send the card. You'll find an envelope that uh, has the uh, Gideon's uh, local uh, address on it, so you can send in the uh, contribution. But then you uh, have an opportunity inside the card to uh, write in recognition, and this particular card says in recognition of Jim Timmons, a five-year Gideon uh, member. And uh, then how many Bibles you want to dedicate. And in this case, we're do I'm doing two Bibles for Brother Jim. Uh, to and you can write a little note over here if you want. And I've simply written, uh, thank you for your service. But you can write any kind of note you want to send to that person. Someone like David or Carol or Carrie might pick up that copy of God's Word except Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and the ripple effect of how many others might accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Uh, in the uh, bulletin this morning was an insert that includes an envelope if you'd like to donate more to the Gideons beyond what uh, is in your church budget. You can either hand that to me or mail it in. The address is there want to thank you for allowing me to be here this morning and tell you about the Gideons International and how God is using the ministry to bring men and women, boys and girls, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Amen.
a couple of announcements. Uh, that, that life book, I do have copies available for if you have a, a young uh, boy or girl that you would like to share it with. Uh, you can see me, I, I have a good number of copies that I could give you. And uh, we have tracks in the back as well uh, uh, for uh, uh, witnessing and uh, sharing with uh, unsaved uh, loved ones or, or a neighbor or a coworker. Uh, we got to remember we're all missionaries. We're all missionaries. We have the uh, the task of uh, uh, the glorious task of sharing God's word with with everyone we come in contact that uh, that needs to hear it. So I pray you'll be doing that. Uh, and don't forget tonight, uh, 6 p.m. Dr. Damowski will be here sharing God's word with you, opening up to your understanding. And uh, I hope you'll join us tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, let's close in prayer now.